Thanks, CJ and Tony. It's a good thing to remember. God is our refuge and strength, our help in the times of trouble. Good morning, happy Memorial Day and Pentecost Sunday, where we commemorate the day that the Holy Spirit first appeared among Jesus' followers, and we celebrate today his continued presence with us even now. We praise God this morning for his reign, his rule, and his love through Jesus Christ for us, his people. Let's stand and sing praise to God who reigns above.
Yeah. 
silently this confession prayer for Pentecost. Gracious and loving God, on this day of Pentecost, we remember that your Holy Spirit is always with us. You encourage and strengthen us, and you send us out to serve you. Your grace is sufficient for every need, and yet we often doubt your presence. We wonder where you are in all that happens in this world. We struggle with trusting wholeheartedly in your love, power, and goodness. We fail to keep our hearts centered and our minds focused on the good news of Jesus, the crucified and risen one. Forgive us, rescue us, and empower us. As your redeemed children, may we seek to do your will to your name's great glory. Through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Let's recite the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, and who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. This morning, we have a new song that Dr. Payne has written that we'd like to teach you. It's in your worship order, in which we are also including more and more of our music so that you're only able to use it not only during the service, but also during your devotional times at home. This new song is called Raise the Flag of Victory, and it celebrates our victory over death, fear, and doubt. So let's learn this soon song together.
Christ has conquered death. Jesus Christ has conquered
Grant the peace of Christ to those around you and have a seat. familia. As we continue in an attitude of worship, I'm going to ask the ushers to please come to the front. And as always, remind you that part of the reason why every Sunday we take the time to worship the Lord by collecting an offering, by giving our tithes, is because we believe that one of the reasons why we do this is because we want to remind ourselves that our God is our God, not our money is our God. That in him and him alone we trust so and so much that we are willing to surrender, quote unquote surrender, some of our money to him because at the end of the day, it all belongs to him. You may pass the plates. If you are visiting for the first time, please do not feel obligated in participating in this. This is for those of us that consider this to be our local church. Um, and as always, we remind you there's three different ways to give. You could give as we pass the plates. You could give by going to wittenbible.org slash give. Or for those of you that are still worshiping with us from home, um, you could send your offerings to the offices of the church. As we continue to pass the plates, I, I have uh, two really cool things to share with you. Number one, I don't know if you knew this, but in, in the, during the month of June, we are going to be celebrating our 94th uh, birthday celebration as a church. No, 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 wait, wait, no, 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 stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. Let's try that again, all right? I don't know if you knew this, but during the month of June, we are going to be celebrating a 94th birthday celebration. Thank you. Um, therefore, on June 11th, June 11th, we're going to have a special service. We're actually going to have combined services. We're going to have a um, traditional, contemporary, and Spanish-speaking group coming and joining together for two services alone, right? So we're going to have one service at 8.30 and another service at 10.30. So we can have a picnic after that at 12.30. So if you are part of the traditional service, I want to invite you to come to stay on this one. Don't move to the other one because... For the, the Spanish-speaking uh, service, we have about 750 people now there. That means that most likely, they're going to come to that service. And if you go to that service, they go to that service, we are not going to fit in here. All right? So stay here and maybe invite some of your friends that go to the contemporary service to come here. Uh, it's going to be a beautiful time of celebration. Amen? June 11, 8.30, 10.30, picnic at 12.30. Is that good? All right, second thing that I want to share with you is today, we're not only celebrating and recognizing who our Lord is and what he has done, but we are also recognizing how he shows evidences of his grace in this creation. One of the ways the Lord shows his grace to us is uh, when we celebrate and remember uh, people ha who have surrendered their lives for the well-being of this country. This is part of the reason why we celebrate as a church also, church also Memorial Day tomorrow, right? Um, there's something beautiful 
and amazing and honorable about someone giving their lives for somebody else. So if you have family members that fall in that category, uh, we want to say thank you to you on behalf of your family and on behalf of the church. Um, we are so grateful for the people that have done that for our country throughout the years. Amen? Let's uh, pray. My beautiful Savior, we are so, so grateful that even when we talk about things like Memorial Day, it's because those things, those celebrations, those things that we celebrate and honor always somehow point us back to you, the ultimate hero, the friend that died for his friends. We are grateful, Lord, because everything beautiful and amazing here, all these heroic things that we celebrate and remember are, are because this is you working in them and through them for the sake of this country. So we are grateful for that. We are also grateful, Lord, for your faithfulness um, toward WBC for 94 years. 94 years celebrating your faithfulness. And we are grateful for that. Lord, and we are grateful because not only we get to celebrate these things, but we get to honor you and give you glory with these offerings and tithings, Lord. And I pray that you use that for the glory of your name and for the well-being of your people and, uh, and for us to continue to bring to you or to contribute to what you're doing in this creation. Bringing people to you, people experiencing the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So as a church, please give us the wisdom to be able to do that right. Give us the discernment to be able to manage that, that money well. Lord, and now I pray, Lord, that you prepare our hearts for the preaching of your word. I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that by the power of your spirit, as we, as we even celebrate Pentecost, the gift of the spirit given in that day, Lord, I pray, Lord, that by the power of, the, of your spirit, you may um, move our minds and hearts and influence our wills in such a way that we surrender our lives to you. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. And the church says, now I'm going to ask you to please stand for the reading of God's word as a sign of reverence. Chapter 21, verses 18 through 27. If you have your journals, it's on page 120, and it will also be on the screens. Early in the morning, as Jesus was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. Immediately the tree withered. When the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither so quickly, they asked. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, Go throw yourself into the sea, and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive what you ask for in prayer. Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked, and who gave you this authority? Jesus replied, I will also ask you one question. If you answer me, I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. John's baptism... Where did it come from? Was it from heaven or of human origin? 
They discussed it among themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, we are afraid of the people, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. Then he said, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Hannibal, um, and we are so glad that you are here, and what a privilege that we continue to walk through this journey in the Gospel of Matthew. And if you were here last week, the sermon today is kind of part two of that sermon. So if you were not here last week, it's all right. You could always find that sermon uh, in our website. Um, But one of the things that we started talking about last week is what is the difference between what I call gospel Christianity and religious Christianity? Or what is one of the differences? What is one of the differences between uh, genuine Christianity and false religion? Because there's a difference between those two. And if you were here, you probably remember that we started looking at this metaphor uh, that Jesus is actually an event that Jesus is using as a metaphor that has to do with a fig tree. So this is what the text says in verse 19. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, may you never bear fruit again, and immediately the tree withered. So this is uh, one of the things that I explain is that Jesus is confronting this false religion behavior. And as he's going out the road, he finds this fig tree. And the fig tree, the, the way it works is you have leaves first. And when the leaves come out, there's supposed to be a little fruit on it before the, the, the real fruit. Now, so if you see a fig tree that is full of leaves, you have to assume that there is fruit because there are leaves. So what happens here is that Jesus approaches this and sees that all of this is full of leaves, but there is no fruit at all. And then he cursed the the, the tree. And that was a way for him to explain that's what false religion looks like. False religion looks like something that appears to be fruitful because of the things we do, the religious things we do, uh, the religious practices we have, but in reality, the heart is not in it. Jesus is saying that false religion is when you externally do things that appear to be fruitful, but internally, people could be still away from God, slaves to sin, and because of that, there are eternal consequences. So when Jesus talks about this false religion, he, he really talks about this in a ser- as a serious matter. So the question that I want to answer today is this. How do we fight our religious tendencies? Because I'm starting from the premise that even if you have been a believer forever, even if you have been a believer all the 94 years that we have been in this church, there's still this tendency to behave religiously. That there's still this tendency to think that we can pretend 
even though our heart is away from God. So once again, the question that I'm trying to answer this morning is, how do we fight those tendencies? Or if I were to post another question, it would be something like, what do we need in order for us to live a genuine Christian life and not a false religion? I think that's a better question. What do we need to be able to live a genuine Christian life and not a false religion? And the text is going to give us three things, this text alone, three things that we need. We need faith, we need prayer, and we need to surrender. Faith, prayer, and surrender. Now, I want to start by making a disclaimer, a disclaimer here because these three topics are, or subtopics, these, these are common things. These are things that we talk about all the time. So if you have been walking with us through this journey in the Gospel of Matthew, or you came to church today and you say, man, I can't wait to hear something new from Annabelle, man, I hate to disappoint you. Because 98% of the things that I'm going to say today, you already heard like 20,000 times. And if you haven't heard them already, that's because you are missing church way too much. <laughs> Listen, only if you have been walking along in the Gospel of Matthew with us. By now, we have talked about faith 11 times. Just through the Gospel of Matthew, up until this point. If you have been walking with us through the Gospel of Matthew, up until this point, we already talked about prayer eight times. And before we finish, we're going to talk about prayer another six times. Now, this is a question for you and for me. Why is it that the Lord continues to talk about the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over again. See, I am convinced that we are like little children. Like really, really, with all seriousness, I, I think that we are like little children. I have two daughters, and I cannot remember one time in which I told my daughters one thing, and they learned to practice it right away. That, uh, unless you had awesome kids, but that was never my experience. <laughs> like, actually, one of the things that I learned about being a parent is that I have to learn to repeat things over and over and over and over again. Clean your room, clean your room. Clean your room, clean your room. Clean your room, clean your room. Clean your room. I could do that forever. So I am convinced that part of the reason why the Lord repeats things over and over again, it's either because we are slow to learn or slow to apply. And I actually want, want you to ask yourself that question. Are you part of the slow to learn or part of the slow to apply? Which is the same thing at the end of the day. So once again, the question is, what do we need in order for us to live a genuine Christianity and not a false religion? So let's start with the word faith, point number one. Um, see, when I say things about us being the way we are, it's because the best example we have of people that are like us are the disciples. 
So the disciples up until this point, they have been walking with Jesus for three years. If you were here last week or the last two weeks, I mentioned that this is the last week of Jesus. That means that for three years, these guys have been hearing from the best teacher ever. Face to face with God Almighty in Jesus Christ. And for some reason, it doesn't matter what kind of teacher you get, you still struggle with these things. So the Lord Jesus performed this beautiful miracle, right? An amazing miracle, actually confronting miracle. He curses the fig tree and the disciples, listen up, instead of asking, why did you do the things that you did? They ask a different question in verse 20. When the disciples saw this, they were amazed and they asked, how did the fig tree wither so quickly? You have to ask the question. Why is it that these guys are not asking the why question and instead the how question? Don't you find that weird? See, all the scholars, most of the scholars that I was uh, uh, reading uh, throughout this week, that many of them argue and make the argument that part of the reason why they, they're asking the how question is because deep down inside, instead of being amazed by what the Lord did with, with the, the meaning of that event, what, the reason why they're asking the question how is because they themselves would like to have the same power. Listen, this is how we know that these guys are still struggling with self-centeredness. This is how we know that these guys are still struggling with self-reliance. This is how we know that these guys are still struggling with false religion. Because even in the midst of this beautiful, powerful event, instead of asking Jesus, why did you do this? They want to have the same power that Jesus has. At the end of the day, the thing inside their heart is who has the power? Who is at the center of everything? And false religions always, a false religion always, always, always put men and women at the center of everything. And false religion always puts men and women as the ultimate power, not God, not his glory, not his power. This is how we know that these guys are struggling. One of the scholars calls this a confusing faith or a faith that is not working properly. Because I think that we would all agree that by this point, every single one of these disciples have faith. Every single one of these disciples believe that Jesus is the ultimate power. Every single one of these guys already know these things. But for some reason in their hearts, listen up church, they believe in Jesus but they also believe in themselves. They want Jesus, but they also want themselves. They believe in the power of Jesus, but for some reason, they still think that they can have the power. How do I know that? Because that's what Jesus says in verse 21. Look at how Jesus responds. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, if you have faith and not doubt, Stop that for a second, because the assumption is that if you have faith, if you already believe, you're not going to doubt. But if you have faith and not doubt, not only can you do what was done to this fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and it will be done. And at the beginning of verse 22, he says, if you believe. 
See, Jesus makes it super clear. It is possible, it is completely possible for us to believe in God and not trust God at the same time. Isn't that a crazy thing? It is possible to be a person that believes that God exists, that believes that has power, that believes that he is who he says he is, and not trust him completely at the same time. See, this is the reason why all throughout the New Testament, the word faith and the word believe is always used as a synonym of trusting. Doubt is a, a, an evidence of lack of trust. Doubt is showing us that we don't really trust as much. Doubt tells you that even though we believe cognitively up here in our head, in here in our, with our affections, we don't trust God as much as we think we do. See, I believe that the disciples have the same issue that many of us have today, including the preacher. We trust God, but we trust ourselves just as much. We believe in God, but we believe in ourselves just as much. We want God to be the center of the universe, but we want to be the center of the universe. We believe that God could do wonderful things, but we also believe that we could do wonderful things. And what Jesus is trying to show the disciples here and the rest of us as we read this is that we don't get to do that. You don't get to trust yourself and God with the same magnitude and at the same time. We either trust and rest on who he is, faith, believe, or we trust ourselves. We don't get to do both. I wonder if this is the reason why the New Testament alone uses the word faith 243 times. I wonder if this is the reason why the New Testament alone causes to believe 241 times. I wonder if the Lord Jesus knows that it is possible for his church to believe in him and believe in us just as much. See, and this is what leads people into false religion. Because false religion can actually do those two things. But genuine Christianity demands that we only trust one person, him and him alone. Him and him alone. And I think that this is part of the reason why we struggle many times with our own faith. See, I think that every single person here, and it's only my opinion, so you could reject it if you want. I think that every single one of us is struggle with self-centeredness because of that. 
I think that every single one of us struggle with self-sufficiency because of that. Actually, we were just praying before the service with the worship team. And I was saying that, you know, when you practice and you rehearse and I study and I prepare, you know, it is so easy for me to come here trusting my work. Super easy. But at the end of the day, what is going to make a difference is not what I say. It's what God does through what I say. So at the end of the service, it's not going to be like, wow, Hannibal, awesome. No, no, no. It is God the one that is awesome. It is God the one that is working. It is his power, not my power. That is so hard to believe. And you know how I know that? Because of the little things we do and the little things we say. At least because of the little things I do and the little things I say. Have you ever seen a little kid craving for attention? That's what that means. Have you ever seen someone that claims to not want recognition, but is so desperately looking for recognition? That's because we are still struggling with self-centeredness and self-sufficiency. This is part of the reason why many people hate to be unnoticed. Because we struggle with self, uh, self-reliance, self-sufficiency, and self-whatever. This is part of the reason why even when we say, I'm here to serve you. But if you serve somebody and the person doesn't say thank you, you say automatically in your head, what an ungrateful person. Maybe you were thinking about yourself way too much. This is part of the reason why people don't like to share birthday celebrations. Because the attention is divided. This is part of the reason why in modern days people talk about low self-esteem. You know what that is? It's when someone cannot stand the idea that I'm not the center of the world. That to me is actually a struggle with high self-esteem. Actually, in modern times, one of the key uh, modern uh, popular concepts now is the concept of self-care. This week, I was actually learning about this, and there is a a writer. Her name is uh, Tara Isabella Burton. And she talks a lot about this thing. And she says, there's nothing wrong with, wanting, uh, with us wanting to exercise self-care. In other words, you got to take care of your emotional life. You got to take care of your physical life. And you have to take care of your physical life, uh, spiritual life. But what she says is that in this context, in the, in the modern world in which we live, when people talk about self-care, it's about this idea that I have to take care of myself first above Everybody else, which is a self-centered approach. See, part of the struggle that we have with our Christianity, if we struggle with our Christianity, is not because we don't love ourselves enough, it's because we love ourselves way too much at the expense of God and others. That's what leads to false religion. It's either going to be God or us. It's going to be his power or our power. You don't get to trust God and yourself at the same time with the same magnitude and intensity. That's a confusing faith. That's a faith that is not working properly. So the question once again is, what do we need to live a genuine genuine Christianity and not false religion? Learn to trust him and him alone. 
Actually, do me a favor. Look at the person next to you and say to that person, you need to learn to trust the Lord and the Lord alone. Go ahead. Now, Jesus, that, that sentence was super short, people. So whatever else you guys are talking about is not related to the sermon. <laughs> Jesus not only talks about the necessity of us really having faith in him, not in him and us, but he's also going to talk about the necessity of learning to pray, which is point number two. So Jesus says, you must have faith and don't doubt. Trust me, he says. But then in verse 22, he adds something else. He says, if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Now, I love that verse. And there are at least, I could have put more, but at least two things that we learn about prayer in that verse alone. Number one, that one of the ways we false are false, that we fight our false religious tendencies, our self-centeredness, our self-reliance, is by understanding that we must pray in order to trust. Let me, let me explain it this way. We don't learn to trust God just by saying, I am going to trust God. It doesn't work that way. Prayer is one of those things that you need in order for you to learn to trust God. And the argument is super simple. If you believe and you trust, then you pray. If God is who he says he is, and he has the power he says he has, Therefore, the most natural reaction is to pray. And if that is true, then the opposite of that is also true. If we don't pray, it's because we don't really trust him as much as we think we trust him. Does that make sense? See, our prayer life is an evidence of how much we trust in him. Our lack of prayer is an evidence of how much we trust in ourselves. Can I ask a, like, a, like an honest question, like family question? How many of us here find it easier to try to fix something before praying for something? Can you raise your hand? I want you to look around really quick. Keep in mind, just look around really quick. See, we pray in order to trust. This is why um, uh, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, pray continually. He doesn't say, pray whenever you want to, pray whenever you feel like it. No, 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 no. Pray continually. Whether you feel like it or you don't. Actually, one of my sayings is, you pray until you want to pray. You pray, you pray, you pray, you pray, because you are preaching to yourself that you are not God, that you don't have the power, that only God is God. He is the center of the universe. He is the only one that could do the things that we cannot do. You pray, you pray, you pray. Jesus in Luke chapter 18 says, 
always pray and do not give up. Notice he doesn't say once again, pray whenever you feel like it. Pray whenever you feel spiritual. No, 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 no. Pray. Don't give up. Pray, pray like if your life depends on it because it does. It's either God or it's you. It's either his power or it's you. It's either genuine Christianity or false religion. It's either God at the center of the universe or we are. We cannot fight our self-centeredness and false religion unless we become people that pray. There's a second thing that we learned there from the text about prayer. And it's not only that we pray in order to trust, but that we must pray the right prayers. It's not that just we pray whatever, but we pray the right, the, the right prayers. See, if the condition is, of the pre- prerequisite is that we believe, therefore we pray, then whatever we believe is going to influence our prayer, right? So I think that us praying the right things really shape the way we live our Christian life. And it's interesting because today we made a prayer that comes from Matthew chapter 16, the Lord's Prayer, and I want to walk you through that really quick, really quick, to show you that our hearts are not shaped, our trust in God is not shaped just by the things, just because we pray. But it's when we pray for the things that we ought to pray. That's how we learn to trust. So for example, at the beginning of the prayer, Matthew 6 says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You know, that prayer is in which we are reminding ourselves and proclaiming to God that he is the ultimate beauty. The word honor is like weight, that he is the ultimate weight, the ultimate splendor, that he deserves all honor and all glory, that only him be, ought to be exalted. How does that shape your heart? Because then you are reminding yourself at the same time that you are not the center of the universe. He is. Therefore, I am not going to pray for my glory. Let me say something crazy for some of you, but you don't pray for the Lord for people to recognize you and appreciate you and love you and understand you. We pray for the Lord to be exalted, for his glory to be recognized, for him to be worshipped. Not you, not me. I don't know if you've ever seen this, but um, a lot of the, the modern young Christ, uh, singers in the secular world, many of them, that grew up in Christianity, they still practice something that is really intriguing to me. Before the concert, they gather a team and they pray. And they pray to Jesus. And they ask the Lord to, uh, to exalt his name. and They want to give glory to Jesus through what they do. And listen, some of them do that really well, but other ones are half naked out there. And I'm thinking, how does that work? And some of the stuff they say is like, that doesn't give him glory. This is part of the reason, because even though with one side of the mouth, we could say we want you to have the glory, with the other side of the mouth, we want it. Can you see why prayer shapes your heart? 
Let's take the second one. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, my prayer is supposed to be, I'm praying for the things that will make this earth look like heaven. If heaven is a place of peace or joy and harmony and dignity and equality and fellowship, that's what I pray for. I don't pray for only the people I like. I don't pray only for the political party I like. I don't pray for the people that I, I, I have uh, things that I share in common. No, 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 no. We pray for whatever heaven looks like, we bring that here. The prayer is, give us today our daily bread. You know how radical that prayer is? Lord, I pray that you give me what I need. Period. That's a crazy prayer. And this side of the world, that we have a lot. If the Lord gives you extra, awesome. Share it with me, share it with other people. But our prayer is, give us what we need. Not what we think we need. Forgive our, our debts as we forgive our debtors. We repent. We pray and we repent. But we also pray that the Lord help us forgive the people that have offended us. See, this is the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament, actually. See, in the Old Testament, you see a lot of prayers uh, actually, people asking for vengeance. What is interesting, though, is that when you read those, you notice that when people are praying for vengeance, it's not because of them, but because of the glory of God. But one thing that is clear in the New Testament is that we actually pray for the Lord to help us forgive the people that who have offended us. Listen, you could pray that the Lord illuminate their minds and they could see how wrong they are and how much they hurt me. You could pray that. But at the end of the day, what matters most is that you pray that you learn how to forgive. That's a different prayer. I could ask the Lord to please change my wife. <laughs> Nothing wrong there. But you know what's more important than that? That I learned how to forgive my wife. Lead us not into temptation and deliver us from the evil one. I love that section. Because Jesus recognizes that we have two enemies. The one that is without, outside of us and the one that is inside of us. And in this one, he's praying for both. Protect me from the things that are outside of me that are evil. But also protect me from the things that are inside of me that are evil. Because the only way you are temp tempted to something is because you already have it inside. The only reason why we are tempted to do something is because we already have it inside. Can you see why prayer shapes the way we think of ourselves and we think of God? We pray in order to trust and we pray in order to be shaped into what God wants us to be. There's our third thing. We talked about faith, we talked about prayer. And the third thing here is surrender. And it seems like if narrative, the narrative is changing and something else is coming here that is separated from the rest of the text. But it's not. Jesus goes back into the temple courts and he starts to teach in the temple courts. And the religious leaders are looking at all of this. 
And look at what happens in verse 23. The chief priests and the elders of the people came to him, to Jesus, and they asked him, but what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you that authority? Now, obviously, the religious leaders are trying to discredit Jesus or undermine Jesus somehow. Uh, and when they're asking this question, they are ask, they're actually doing something that is not wrong, per se. Because as religious leaders of the time, they did have the responsibility to, to, um, to choose and dictate who had the right to teach in the temple. There was nothing wrong with that. That was part of the job description. Actually, very similar to the job description of the elders in modern-day Christianity. The elders supposed to protect the doctrine and the teachings of the church. Right? So we don't just have anybody coming here and then teach whatever. No, 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 no. The elders have the same responsibility that these people had. Protect the theology of the church. So that's not the problem. The problem is the motive behind the question. See, these people already know what Jesus had said. They already know that Jesus had already proclaimed that he's the Messiah. So if Jesus was to answer, well, my authority comes from God, they could easily say, well, we are the religious people here. We are the ones that take care of this temple and we don't agree with you. So therefore, you have no authority here. They could have done that. Jesus knows that. That's why he's about to do something brilliant. Look at what happens here in verse um, 25. At the beginning of verse 25, instead of answering the question, Jesus asked them another question. John the Baptist, where did he come from? Or where did he come from? Was it from heaven or from human origin? And then look at the second part of verse 25. They went and discussed it among themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? Stop there for a second. See, Jesus asked this question because if they say that John the Baptist, that the, John the Baptist as a prophet was something that came from heaven, Jesus would have to ask them, if John the Baptist says that I was the Messiah, that I'm the Savior of the world, so how come you don't believe in me? That's a great question. Of course they can answer that. If they say that, they will be in trouble. Look at what happened then in verse 26. But if we say, says the religious leaders of human origin, we are afraid of the people, for they all hold that John was the prophet. So Jesus also knows that if we say, well, John's think he was like a hippie living in the wilderness. If they say that, then the people that actually believe that he was a true prophet will go after them. So they do the most reasonable thing they could do. They go to Jesus and say, we don't know. And you know how Jesus responds? I don't know either. You can answer my question. I cannot answer your question. The question is, why is it that Jesus didn't answer the question? And the answer is so simple, at least to me. These guys didn't want to believe. They actually didn't want to surrender their lives to Jesus. 
They didn't want to surrender their will to Jesus. They didn't want to be shaped by Jesus. They didn't want to be, give up this idea that they were at the center of the universe. They didn't want to believe that only God has the power. They had already made a decision. And this is the difference between genuine Christianity and false religion. False religion always thinks of something that I need to hold back. Genuine Christianity is willing to surrender all. Everything that the Lord asks of you, you surrender to him. Everything that the Bible says, even if it doesn't make any sense to you, you surrender to him. It's simply impossible for us to learn how to trust God with all of our hearts if we don't surrender everything to him. It is impossible for us to be shaped by prayer if we're not willing to surrender to him. If there's anything in our hearts in which we say, wow, well, you know, I don't agree with this part of the Bible, you can't practice false religion. Because at the end of the day, it's about learning to surrender everything to him. Faith, prayer, surrender. Can anybody do that? Of course we can. Why wouldn't we? Didn't Jesus surrender all for you? Didn't Jesus surrender the harmony of the Trinity to become this tiny, needy human being and to live in a broken world just to save you? Why wouldn't you surrender everything to him? Why wouldn't you trust him if he surrendered even his will? Right before he goes to the cross. Father, not my will, but your will. And he did it for you. Why wouldn't you surrender everything to him? If he surrendered for a fragment of time, his communion, perfect communion for the, with the Father, why have you forsaken me? Why wouldn't you trust him? Why wouldn't you trust him if he was willing to exchange glory for shame? Peace for pain, love for rejection, presence for loneliness, and life for death. Why wouldn't you trust him? Even more, why would you even trust yourselves? See, that's the difference between genuine Christianity and false religion. May the Lord grant us to be people of faith, people of prayer, and people that is willing to surrender all for the glory of God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. My wonderful Savior, we are grateful for, um, for the Bible, Lord, and the, and the confrontation of the Bible. Lord, we understand that when you speak to us so clear in Scripture, it's because at the end of the day, you want the best for us. And you know how dangerous it is to practice false religion. 
So I pray, Lord, that you grant us the gift by the power and the presence of the Spirit to be able to trust you, fully trust you, to be able to be shaped by prayer and to be able to surrender our wills to you. Can you please do that in us? Because we recognize that even if we want to, you need to work in our wills. You need to influence our wills. You need to transform our will. So please make it happen. And we pray for all this in the name of Jesus. And we all say? Let's stand. Our service will be closed today by a declaration of us to the Lord and to each other that we want to be people that walk by faith, as so many have done from the, from the very beginning all the way now. faith we see the hand of God in the light of creation's grand design in the lives of those who prove his faithfulness who walk by faith and not by sight by faith our fathers own the earth with the power of promise in their hearts and the holy city built by God's own hand a place where peace and justice reign we will stand as children of the promise we will fix our eyes on him our soul's reward till the race is finished and I think the prophets on a day when the long for Messiah would appear with the power to break the chains of sin and death and rise triumphant from the grave. The church was called to go In the power of the Spirit to the lost To deliver captives and to preach good news To every corner of the earth We will stand as children of the promise We will fix our This mountain shall be moved, and the power of 
the gospel shall prevail. For we know in Christ all things are possible. Walking by faith and not by sight. That's all we need. Walking by faith. Amen? Before finishing our service, just a quick announcement for you to know. Starting on June 4th, you will see a police officer walking around the building. So let me give you the context, all right? For the last five years, we have been increasing our, what we call a safety team or security team. That means that we have members of our congregation that sees through our services, um, in all of our services. But the church is growing so much, and we have so many young families now that we cannot, that we feel after praying and talking with the elders for a while about this, we understand that it is, it is a wise thing for us to have a little bit extra help just in case something may happen. So we want you to feel safe. We want the families to feel safe. We want the kids to be safe, feel safe. And that's why we have the members. And we're going to have someone that is going to be walking around with a uniform. Uniform. Listen, he's not going to be looking for violations, asking for nothing. He's just walking around, right? And there's going to be a vehicle, vehicle in the front, uh, kind of a presence thing. Um, so we don't want anyone to be scared by that, right? It's an, it's, we, we see it as, as something that the Lord is asking us to do uh, because he's wise, just in case of anything. So if anything were to happen, which by the way, nothing has ever happened, but you never know. Is that good? All right, so don't be scared. <laughs> let me, <clears throat> let me uh, give you the benediction now. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that his ways may be known on earth and his salvation among all the nations. And the churches, we love you, church. You are sent. <laughs>